we're going to be having him. This morning, we're glad to have Dave Smith. Uh, Dave Smith uh, got saved uh, attending this church. He married a gal that he met here, Betty, his wife, who has gone home to be with the Lord and uh, served God from the early 70s. Uh, uh, and then we hired him in 84. He uh, served with us on staff until 89. And he's been in Reno at the Evangelical Free Church there for the past 22 years. And uh, I always uh, crack up. The first time I, I ever wanted to share the gospel uh, with his wife and Missy Quinn and Cynthia Williford, uh, none of them were married then. Uh, and Missy had a house across from the liquor store on the corner of Pinion and San Pablo Avenue. And uh, David was never intimidated. I could witness to the girls, and he'd go buy a six-pack and drink it while I shared the gospel. And uh, who knows? God saved all three gals and saved him. And uh, never had any idea. When I first met him, used to wear a headband, looked like Jimi Hendrix, and used to, you know, long hair. He was just terrible, you know. Uh, he couldn't look like the hood if he tried. He's just a good old American boy. Welcome Dave Smith, who's going to preach the word to us. I've been introduced quite a bit, but never quite like that, I don't think. <laughs> uh, I have to say, it is such a privilege to be here to preach God's Word from this pulpit. Um, Phil's been my pastor for uh, 40 years. I came to this church in um, May of 1972 is when I got saved, and Phil's been my pastor ever since. Um, I love this dear brother. He came and uh, preached my wife's memorial service. It'll be two years uh, this coming August. And um, only Phil can get away with things like this. He told the church, I don't know, there was probably 700 people there. And he told the church that he had uh, five pages of notes, and it's usually about 10 minutes per page, so just hold on. In fact, he had everybody stand up to stretch, because we'd already gone a while. Just stand up and stretch, because we're going to be here for a while. And he preached my wife's favorite passage out of Isaiah 40, and uh, I love this dear brother. When, when I think of my time here at Valley, I was here for 17 years, and five of those years I was in full-time ministry. Uh, when I think of Valley and I think of Phil, I always say this, Phil not only taught me the Word of God, he taught me heart for God. That's what he did. I asked him, I said, do you have Kleenex? Because I know I'm going to cry. I mean, this brother and uh, so many of you, I, I, I can't, uh, I know there's some people that I've never met before, but the last time I was here, I, I talked to lots of you who had been here and been here for a long time, and I so appreciate uh, uh, you talking to me about uh, my wife's passing, and you know, I was just thinking of that song that, uh, um, that was just sung. Rebecca did a great job, didn't she? And you know what? Even though my wife's with the Lord almost two years, I haven't lost my hope. I haven't lost my joy. I haven't lost my peace. In fact, uh, Phil was just, we went out to dinner last night, and he was talking. He, he uh, said he was just amazed at how I was at the memorial service. He thought I was going to have a kind of a crash and burn because I was so up. And, and, um, but you know what? I told him, and I've told everybody else, um, I've been teaching and preaching this Bible and what it means in future events and where we go when we die, and I believe that, don't you? And so when one of your loved ones goes, guess what? You're going to see them again. They're with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
Um, I was telling my little granddaughter, she's nine years old, and she was very close to my wife, and uh, just really difficult for her. And I, I tried to tell her, you know, her name is Myra. And I said, you know, Myra, if, uh, if Grandma could even come back, she wouldn't want to. I said, here it is, Myra. She's with Jesus. So she's got a choice of Jesus or Papa. That's no choice at all. <laughs> Let me tell you that. And uh, so, I, again, it's such a privilege. I, I have been under Phil's uh, preaching for 17 years, and I'll go online and listen to his preaching, and I've heard him at different times since that time. We've had him up to Reno, and um, I love this dear brother. You mean a lot to me, Phil. You, you taught me a lot. And the greatest thing Phil taught me was trust God. doesn't matter what else is going on. You trust God. God will always come through every time. He's never failed. He never will fail. Well, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, the Bema Seat of Christ, and uh, God put this on my heart. I preached this message similar to this, oh, I don't know, it's been about six months ago, and I was praying, um, what would you like me to share here, Lord? What would you like me to share with the folks at Valley Bible Church? I, I Obviously, I don't know your needs, but I, I know this, that when we gather together, the writer of Hebrews said that we're to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. We're to love each other and encourage each other. And you know, for me, I got taught the Bema Seat years and years ago, and many different times over the course of the 17 years that I was here, and it always encouraged me. It encouraged to keep my focus on what my life is really about. My life is about serving Christ. My life is about wanting to hear what Jesus could say to me when I get to heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so let me pray, and then we're going to get started in this. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this choir. And Father, those who sang today, Father, uh, it's a taste of heaven. I remember years ago when we were here and we would pray for Sunday night service and sometimes we'd pray before the service and we'd say, Father, we want to feel our inheritance tonight because we got a great inheritance in heaven. And Father, we, we used to sing an old song. I know they probably sing it here still. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And I t pray today, Father, that as it were, heaven would come down and glory fill our soul. And Father, we would be touched by you. I don't know all the needs of your people here, but you know them. And I pray you would encourage each one today. And I do pray, Father, if there's one here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're drawing them to yourself, I pray that today might be their day of salvation. And so, Father, we thank you. Pray you'd bless your word now. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In your uh, bulletin, there's some notes. I believe there's gonna be a PowerPoint up on the, on the uh, screen here also. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Gladiator. You've probably seen it. I love those kind of movies where you get men that are uh, comrades and they, there's this camaraderie and they've got this purpose together. And they're, they're going to go forward with this purpose. And at the beginning of that movie, you see this Roman army. And they're all set up, and they're going to be fighting the Germanians. And they're all set up, and man, they've got, um, they've got soldiers, they've got guys with bow and arrows, they've got spears, they've got these things that are going to launch these deals that are on fire, and they're going to attack. And Russell Crowe is the general, and he goes and he takes some men on horseback, and he goes around to try to outflank them, and he's in the forest, and some of you have probably seen this, and he's trying to outflank the Germanians, and he's going to attack them. And just before he does, there's this little scene that I'm going to have him play. Nope, we're not going to play it. It didn't work. So, but if you've seen the movie, or even if you haven't, there's a scene where they are about to attack, and they're going to go after these Germanians. 
And so he's talking to these men. And he's saying, I want you to hold the line, men. I want you to keep up with me. And then he said this. What you do in life echoes in eternity. And that is so true for the Christian today. What we do in this life has an impact in eternity. What we do in this life, our works, what we accomplish has an impact in eternity. And so we want to talk about what's going to happen in eternity. I love this verse, and sometimes we stop at, in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 8 and 9. Sometimes we stop with 9, but we need to read verse 10 too. Ephesians 8 and 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And sometimes we stop there, because that's great. Saved by grace through faith. And then he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for the purpose of good works that God has ordained beforehand that we might walk in them. We, you and I, are his workmanship. It's a Greek word, poema. What a beautiful word. Did you know that you're the poem of God? You're the masterpiece. Another way it's translated, you're the masterpiece of God. And your purpose, now that you're saved, you were created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. To do those things, it's the Greek word agathos. It means beneficial. It means those things that are good for other people. Serving. Bringing glory to your Father and to your Savior. And so we want to look at what is the Bema Seat. That's the place that we're going to all stand before. You know, I had the privilege of um, going to... Okay, good, it worked. It's amazing when technology works. Usually when I touch something, it falls apart and it doesn't work ever again. But I had the privilege of going to Greece and the privilege of going to Turkey about three years ago. And one of the places we went was Corinth. And at Corinth, in fact, every major Roman city, there was always a Bema seat. And as you can see on this slide, um, it was always in the place called the Agora. The Agora was um, the place where they would sell things. It was the marketplace. And the Bema seat was a big um, rock stand that they would build and that, that during that time uh, for that city for individual cities whether it's Ephesus or or Corinth or Philippi or wherever it might be um, all the rulers of those cities they would make announcements from the Bema seat um, they would um, do judgments from the Bema seat uh, Paul stood uh, before Galileo in Acts chapter 18 at the Bema seat. And there was a judgment going to be made. Even Jesus in Jerusalem stood before the Bema seat, and that's where they let go Barabbas. And they took Jesus and said to crucify him. But Paul uses this word Bema seat. Sometimes it's translated judgment. He uses this word Bema uh, in the context of um, athletics. And he uses it for those who win athletic events. They would come before and kind of like our Olympics today, where they stand up on a little platform, but we have gold, silver, and bronze. Um, at this time, they would just give a wreath to the winner. And they would stand them up on this Bema seat, and they would give this award or this reward uh, to the winner of any uh, athletic event. And the Corinthians were famous. Uh, that city was famous for the Isthmus Games. It was kind of a precursor to our Olympics. And so Paul is going to say that every Christian is going to be standing at the Bema seat at some point. And so what we want to look at is we want to look at um, several different questions. We want to look at when will the Bema seat take place? When does that happen for Christians? Secondly, who's going to be there? Who's going to be at the Bema seat? Third, we want to look at what will happen at the Bema seat. 
And then fourthly, we want to see what rewards or crowns will be given at the Bema Seat. So first of all, let's look at when will the Bema Seat take place? The Bema Seat's going to take place sometime after the rapture. It's wonderful as you look in the book of Ephesians and you see that at some point, you and I, as the bride of Christ, are going to be presented to the Father. We're going to be holy and blameless. So obviously, something has to take place before that time. Just a couple of things. It's, it's related to the rapture of the church. Paul said this in uh, 2 Timothy 4.8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. What day, Paul? And not only me, but also those, all those who have loved his appearing. It's connected to the appearing of Christ. When Jesus comes back at the rapture and we meet the Lord in the air. He also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Now if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Christ, if anyone builds on it with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, that day that he's talking about, will declare it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort or what quality it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, will, he will receive a reward. And then a few verses later he says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. And so the Bema Seat is first of all just for Christians. There'll be no one that's unsaved there at all. This is just for the church. And people are going to be, at the rapture, you're going to have people that are raised from the dead. You know, one of the things that's so exciting, I can hardly wait, and I've been praying this for years, I want to go in the rapture. I want to be part of that number that I'm standing there, and then this body, as big and as old as it getting, is going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. This mortal is going to put on immortality. Going to be changed instantly. And I want to be of that number that's here. Do you want to be in that number? The correct answer to that is amen. So let's try it again. You want to be in that number? Amen. I want to be in that number. I want the Lord Jesus to return. I want to be, and I want to see him face to face. What's amazing when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that those, my wife, um, Phil's mom and dad, uh, Phil's sister, um, everybody that we know that's a Christian that has already been in glory. They're going to come back with Jesus. You've got to hear this. In, um, in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who are asleep in Jesus, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them uh, in the air to meet the Lord in the air and forever will be with the Lord. Jesus is going to bring back all those who are already with him. And as he comes back, we're going to be translated. Our bodies are going to be changed. Their physical body, my wife, we cremated her and uh, my wife and I used to walk around um, this man-made lake that's in uh, uh, Sparks, Nevada. And she loved it. We would walk around that. And so I talked to uh, some people, and I said, you know, is there any law against um, sprinkling my wife's ashes here? And so the day we did the memorial service, um, I had some relatives there, Betty's sister and brother-in-law, and some good friends that I've known for years, and we went to that place. 
And we read the scriptures about the resurrection. We took Betty's ashes and we sprinkled them into that water. And now we go by there and my, my granddaughter loves to go by there. And we say a prayer and we thank God for grandma. And we're, we're thanking him that we're going to see him one day, see her one day. But there's going to be a day when, they, when she is going to return with the Lord Jesus Christ and she's going to be changed. And her body is going to be raised from the dead. God's going to call all those molecules back together. And we're going to, she's going to have a resurrected body. And we are going to be changed. It is wonderful. So the day that that's going to happen, sometime soon right after that, is the day that we'll stand before Christ, every Christian. And our works, not our sins, those have been taken care of at the cross, but our works will be looked at. They will be judged. Now, a second thing, Jesus said when he comes, his reward is going to be with him. Revelations chapter 22, verse 12. So when Jesus comes and he comes back at the rapture, his rewards are going to be with him. Each one of us are going to be rewarded. It's going to be a wonderful ceremony. Can you imagine standing there with the throngs of people? I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be amazing. I don't know if it's going to happen in a very short time. I don't think there's going to be a big screen TV or anything like that. But it's going to be a wonderful time because it's going to be a celebration of the good works that we did because we love Jesus, because we've been called by him, because he's impacted our life. Because we've stimulated other people to love and to good deeds. When Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period with his church, the bride, she is arrayed in, arrayed in fine linen, which is described the, as the righteous acts of the saint. That obviously means that that happened after the Bema Seat. Because we're already arrayed in this beautiful white garment as the bride of Christ. So, when will the Bema Seat take place? It's going to take place sometime shortly after the rapture, before we're presented to the Father, before we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is a seven-year event. Anybody here like to eat? That is going to be one of the best banquets you've ever been to. Um, I, people talk about the kinds of food they want to eat. I know if, we're, if, if the food is distributed across the world, I'm going to Australia, because that's where lobsters grow. And that's what I want. I'm going for lobster tail. All the lobster tail I can eat. It's going to be incredible. So there's going to be this huge banquet. So when will this Bema Seat take place? It's going to take place um, sometime right after the rapture. Now, who's going to be at the Bema Seat? Have to double check. We're there. Who's going to be at the Bema Seat? Every Christian and only Christians. This is not a time to judge sin. There's going to be another time where there's another judgment place. It's called the white throne judgment. And that's going to be for non-believers only. And that's not to see whether they're going to heaven or hell. That's to see what kind of punishment they're going to receive. You can see that in Revelations chapter 20. But at the Bema Seat, every Christian will be there. And only Christians will be there. All the New Testament saints will be at the, who are at the rapture are going to be, go before the... Um, the Bema Seat, and stand before Christ. It's going to be a wonderful event. Now, all the passages that we see in the New Testament that deal with the Bema Seat, um, all those things talk about the rewards that we'll get. Now, there's a difference between rewards and inheritance. Rewards are something that we earn as a Christian. It has nothing to do with our salvation. It's after we're saved that we, we do these good works and we're rewarded for those things. Inheritance, everyone gets the same inheritance. If you think of um, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 5, listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved for heaven or in heaven for you. Every Christian gets the same inheritance because it's connected to our birth. He says, we have been begotten by the Lord Jesus Christ. Inheritance is part of our birthright. And every Christian, every Christian is going to reign with Christ. Every Christian is a co-heir with Christ. Every Christian gets this inheritance that's in Christ. Every Christian, if you've been saved 50 years or you were saved 15 minutes, you are a part of the, the, the church you're a part of this um, being born again. You are related to God through birth, and you and I are going to share in this incredible inheritance. But there's something else that takes place. What we do from the time that we become a Christian until the time we go in the rapture, what we do in that time, you can either be rewarded for, or what we do, if it's not done in the power of the Spirit, it's done with the wrong motive. We did it just because, ah, here comes that offering plate again. There you go. You're going to pull it out anyway. Seems like all they ever do is talk about money around this place. I hear that so much about every church. All they do is talk about money. That's not so. Amen. 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 In, fact, in fact, we don't talk about money enough. Amen. We really don't. That's the only amen we're going to get out of Phil this morning. Um, and so, everybody gets the same inheritance, but you earn your rewards. And it's not like, wow, look at all my rewards, you know? It's like, I got all the Sunday school badges and buttons and all those kinds of things. Or look what I have. No, we do it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, because we love fellow saints. We do it because that's part of what we are. Our purpose in life now, our purpose in life, we've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. That's what we do. We're to be looking for, how is it you want me to fulfill those good works that you've already lined out for me, Lord? Much of what God has wants us to do is written in his word. Sometimes um, it's going to be played out different in each life, but is everybody supposed to have mercy towards one another? Are you supposed to be good to widows and orphans? Are you supposed to give to the poor? Um, are you supposed to serve some way in the church? Uh, we are. Every person is to do that. It's going to be played out in each person's life a little bit different, but it's very clear in Scripture what we are about as a church. Or do we be reaching out to those who don't know Christ? Just so many different things in God's Word that we are to be doing are the good works that God has lined out for us to do. Difference between inheritance and rewards is inheritance. Everybody gets it. It is so wonderful. I love that part that Peter says, it's reserved in heaven for you. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where you called ahead, or maybe you were an invited guest, or some way, and you come, and they take you to the table, and there's this sign on it that says, reserved. I mean, doesn't that make you feel special? Wow, here's a table. It was reserved for me and my party. Our inheritance is reserved. It doesn't fade away. It's not gonna, it's not gonna go away. Jesus likened it to a reward that's in heaven where thieves can't bust in and get it where it's not going to rust or it's not going to rot. It's an inheritance that we're all going to receive. It's part of our salvation. So who's going to be at the Bema seat? Every Christian's going to be there. What's going to happen at the Bema seat? Well, according to Paul, and if you would, just turn with me to uh, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to read this. Um, I'll read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 
and we'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to just read that whole um, passage right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So be turning there, and I'll be um, reading to you uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we all, Christians, must appear before the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's the word uh, worthless, it's phallos, where you get plowing up fallow ground, ground that's, uh, that's dry. Um, and so he's going to determine what we've done in the body since we've become a Christian. Was it good? Was it beneficial? Agathos? Or was it phallos? Was it bad? Was it done with the wrong motive? I did it because, ah, you know what, they needed somebody to teach Sunday school and they were bugging me and so I just did it. Well, there'll be no reward for that. And so he's going to judge those type of things. Now notice they're going to be evaluated by fire. It's really interesting. The way that John described Jesus in Revelations chapter 1, and as you read through that passage, you can see one of the things that John says about Jesus is he has eyes like fire. I think Jesus is going to just look at all of our works. And in chapter uh, 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test, which is used of testing of metals, uh, test each one's work, what sort or quality it is. If any man's work which he has built on this foundation of Christ endures, he will receive a, war, a reward. And so God likens our good works, what we do after we become saved, to these building materials. Gold silver, precious stones, hay, wood, straw. And so if you piled up a bunch of those articles and you put a big pile and then you lit a match to it, what's going to be left? Obviously, gold, silver, precious stones. And the rest is burn up. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to look at our works and he can determine with his discerning eyes, he can determine what we did for him, what we did because we love him, what we did because Jesus has died for our sins, what we did because we love his people. I don't know about you, but after I became a Christian, I started loving Christians, and I can't help myself. I just can't help myself. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter who I meet. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I met Christians in Greece. And man, it was just like I'd known him forever. I met Christians in Turkey, and it was just like I've known him forever. There's something about being with God's people and loving on God's people. You can't help yourself. That's one of the signs, John says, that you really are born again. You can't help but love God's people. And so Jesus looks at all those works, and by his grace, he burns up all that stuff that we did not in the power of the Spirit. We did it for the wrong motive or whatever it might be. He burns all that up. A third thing, reward will be given to those things that pass the test. It, just think of this. God saves you by his grace and his mercy. He gives you a spiritual gift. He gives you talents and abilities. He gives you opportunity. This is his church. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the verses that really set me free about ministry 
was that he says three things in chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts. He said there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that gives you those gifts. There's a variety of ministry, but the same Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, that will direct you into where he wants you to use your spiritual gift. I believe even to the white church, whichever church he wants you to be involved in. But verse 6 says this, and there's a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all people. It's the Father who's in charge of the effects of your ministry, the effects of your spiritual gift. That sets me free. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen when I speak. What's going to happen when I do the ministry that I do at the church? I don't have to worry about those things. That's up to the Father. All I need to do is make sure that I'm prepared, whether it's studying or whatever it is that I'm doing, and make sure that I'm asking God to fill me with his Spirit, that I'm doing my part, and then whatever the Father decides to do with whatever I'm doing, that's up to him. And so we get this spiritual gift, and then we do ministry over the course of our lives. We do these good works. We walk in them. And then God rewards us. He gives us the gift. He gives us his spirit. And as we obey him in doing that, he gives us a reward. And then the greatest thing that we're going to see in just a few moments is we get to take those rewards, those crowns. According to Revelation 4, we get to cast them at the Savior's feet. Because isn't Jesus the one who deserves all the credit? Amen? Amen. He deserves all the credit. So rewards will be given for those works that pass the test. Then lastly, those works that don't pass the test, they're going to be burned up. They're going to be done away with. You'll suffer loss in that you'll suffer loss of reward, but you don't suffer loss of salvation because this is not a salvation issue. Remember what Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 say? It's for by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Works don't save you. What you do before you become a Christian doesn't save you. You couldn't do enough good works to be saved. But once you are saved, the good works prove that you really are saved. The way James said it was, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. These good works show that we really are saved. I do it because I love Jesus. I do it because I have this, I'm indebted to him for saving me, for changing me. And so, all those other things are burned up and taken away. They're gone forever. We'll never have to see them again. Those things that you didn't do because you love the Lord. You did it because you felt obligated to do it. That's the worst time because you never get joy out of that. Isn't there so much joy when you do something, you serve in some way, it doesn't matter even what it is, but you serve in some way and you did it just because you love Jesus, just because you love his people. I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, I could do that. That's not a problem. I'd love to do that for you. I mean, I, you, there's people in this church I know that somebody loses a loved one or they just get out of the hospital and you say, man, I'd love to cook a meal for that family. I'd love to do that. Someone comes up here forward and you see that they have a need. You may not even know what it is, but you say, you know what? I'd love to pray for them. Father, I don't know what's going on in their life, but would you touch them? Would you encourage them today? You do it because you love Jesus. You do it because you love his people. And it doesn't really matter uh, how many things might be burned up during that time. Because I think there's going to be, all of us will have the theme song, don't let smoke get in your eyes. I mean, there's going to be some smoke with each one of us. God's going to burn up some stuff that we didn't do with the right motive. But the things that we did, he's going to reward us. This is not a salvation issue. It's an issue of our service after we've been saved. Now, what kind of rewards, what kind of crowns might we get? What kind of rewards are going to be there? 
First of all, Jesus likens our rewards to heavenly treasures. Matthew 6, 20, he said, and you're familiar with this verse, he said, but lay up treasures that are in heaven. And it's actually a command. That's something we do. You know what? We get so caught up with laying up treasures here on earth. We get up with our 401k and our savings account and our homes, and, and we get caught up with all these different things that, that the world promotes, things that distract us from what our purpose really is. Our purpose isn't to live the American dream. Our purpose is to do good works. Our purpose is to, because we're created in Christ Jesus, that's what we're to be doing, is we're to be doing good works in our life. We're to walk in those. And the idea there is you order your manner of life after good works. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be looking for opportunities to share Christ. We're looking for opportunities that we can encourage somebody. He likens these rewards to heavenly treasures. In an interesting verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's talking to those, Paul writes to Timothy, he's talking to those who are rich. Now, I would say that all of us, compared to the world, are rich. If you compare everybody all across the globe, we're all rich, no doubt about it. And this is what he says to all of us. Tell those that are rich to do this. Be rich in good works. Isn't that amazing? Don't worry about your riches here on earth, but here's where I want you to be rich. I want you to be rich in good works. That's where I want you to be rich. And then he says this, be ready to give. Be ready to give of yourself, whether it's your finances, whether it's your spiritual gift, whether it's a meal, whether it's a word of encouragement. Anybody here need encouragement? God, nobody, that's great. So yeah, raise your hand if you need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. I remember when uh, Valley Bible first started, and we were meeting over in Holy Ghost Hall. And I remember I was telling Phil this last night. We would, after Phil would preach, he'd call us forward, you know, like kind of like here. But there was a back room. And I remember going back there so many times and just being on my knees and just weeping before God. It wasn't always confession of sin, though sometimes it was. But sometimes I'd be back there and I would just be weeping for God. I'd say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, just do it. I want to be more like Christ. I want to live this Christian life and give you honor and glory. And so there'd be a bunch of people back there praying. And then somebody would finish and they'd walk by and pretty soon they, you'd have a hand on your shoulder. And they'd start praying. They'd say, Father, I don't know why Dave's here, but Father, would you minister to him right now? I mean, that is so special. I know that some of you have had that done to you. When someone else prays for you, when someone else sends you a note, when someone else just encourages you, they give you a hug. Phil was telling about a guy that he hugged the other day. It was sometime recently. And this guy works out in the secular world. And they don't get no hugs there for sure. But Phil just saw him and just said, hey, brother, I love you. And the guy was kind of taken back. And he just kind of took it in. And he said, you know what? I don't get any of that stuff out there. That's what I get here in the church. We got to be loving on each other and encouraging each other and partnering up in the gospel, reaching out. I appreciate so much the things that this church does to reach out to the community. I was talking to Larry Howard. He was talking about, uh, we went by uh, um, tennis courts in the, uh, down in Rodale, and you do this big thing where you feed people. That's a good work. You're reaching out to the poor. You do the volleyball thing, and you do, uh, there's a new soccer deal that they were telling me about that sounded fantastic for junior hires. You're reaching out. Those are good works. That's what we're to be about. That's what our lives are to be characterized by. Heavenly treasures. So Paul says to Timothy, be rich in good works. 
be ready to give, be willing to share. And then he says, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future. The word storing up means to amass a treasure. It's a present tense. It means continually amassing a treasure that's in heaven. And Jesus, in Matthew 6, had said this. After he had said, storing up treasures in heaven, he said, for where your heart is, that's where your treasure be. Is your heart in heaven? Is that where your heart is? Or is it, is it contained on the earth? Because if your heart's on the earth and consumed with the things of the earth, that's where your treasures are going to be. Your treasures are going to be here. But Jesus said, no, I want you to build up some treasures in heaven. I want you to store up things. I want you to amass a treasure in heaven. Because those are the things that you and I are going to be rewarded for as we stand before Christ. A second thing in Revelation, well, that's the wrong verse. Um, some rewards might even be verbal rewards. We see in the, in the gospel accounts, we see that uh, parables told by Jesus about the talents that were given by the master to his slaves. And then what did those slaves do with those talents? And when the master came back, um, he found out, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And those that invested it, those that did the right thing with it, the, the master said to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think some of that's going to take place for us. Part of the rewards we're going to get, and could you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ saying to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, in the Pentagon, this has been going on for about four years now, in the army section of the Pentagon building, they invite, every Friday, they invite a number of about 100 or so wounded veterans and they start them down this corridor. It's about 110 yards long. And along this corridor is lined up um, Army personnel that works there in the Pentagon, um, others that work there in the Army section. And as these soldiers, some of them are able to walk, some of them are being pushed in wheelchairs, some of them have their families with them. As they begin to walk down that aisle, people begin to applaud. All those people every soldier and they applaud and the applaud goes for over 30 minutes appreciating what those men and those women have sacrificed and what they've given that pales when you think of that the lord jesus christ might say to you and i well done thou good and faithful servant would you want to hear any other words but that I mean, it's great when you get appreciated. Your pastor might come to you and say, you know what? We really appreciate you working with our youth. Or we really appreciate what you do in our nursery or whatever. And that's great. And we should be doing that. But when Jesus said it, when he says it to you and I, it's going to make a huge difference. It's going to mean something. So some of our rewards will be verbal. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, after the passage there in 1 Corinthians 3 about the Bema seat, he says this. He says, then each one's praise will come from God. God's going to have a good word to say to you and I, and that's going to mean something. It's going to mean more than anybody else saying something. There's going to be verbal praise. There's going to be verbal reward. Another thing that's going to take place there is some rewards are going to be special responsibilities. Did we get there? We did. You can look in the Gospels, and you can see that uh, in some of those parables that Jesus told, um, when, the, when the master comes back, he gives the servants some special responsibilities. I believe that in the millennial kingdom, it's going to impact what you and I do. 
There's going to be some special rewards that we're going to maybe be over cities. There's going to be some special responsibilities that are tied to what we did here on earth. Now let me just say this. I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed when they get to heaven. Amen? No one's going to be disappointed. But there's going to be some of us and some of you who are going to be privileged because of what you did on, here on earth. Jesus is going to honor you and give you special responsibilities of some kind. And no one's going to be talking about how, you know what, they didn't really deserve that. Everybody's going to be appreciative. You know, we have a, a school at our um, church, and we have about 115 K through 6th graders. And what we do is we do student of the week. And what we've taught our kids that it doesn't matter if you make student of the week that particular week or not. We love and appreciate everyone who does that. And so our kids have learned. We've had the school now for about, uh, I think we're on our 10th anniversary. So I do chapel service for them. And so when we do um, these awards, these Student of the Week awards, every time we call a student's name, it doesn't matter what class it is, everybody claps. Everybody shouts. People are calling out their names. I mean, can you imagine how those little kids feel? It's wonderful. And I tell our children all the time, I appreciate that. It doesn't matter if you won the award or not. But do you appreciate what this person has done? And I think that's how it's going to be in heaven. We're not going to be saying, ah, oh, you know, he really didn't deserve that. We're going to say, wow, great going, Pastor Phil. That was wonderful. Look what God has done for you. We're going to appreciate. We're going to, uh, we're going to be joyous with, with whoever that person is who receives that reward, that special responsibility. And then there's five crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. There's the incorruptible crown. That, corru that crown is for... Uh, continuing to dis discipline yourself in order to finish the race. He likens it to an athletic event. An athlete needs to be disciplined. He needs to be um, uh, going and doing his whatever his uh, athletic event is according to the rules. And he likens that to this crown that we can receive. A crown because we've disciplined ourselves in the Christian life. There's another crown, the crown of exaltation. It's for faithful witness and follow-up on new believers. And you can look up these verses. There's notes there in your uh, bulletin. So the crown of exaltation for witnessing and following up on new believers. You know, it's only, it's only part of the job that you and I do when we witness to a, to a person and they get saved. We need to make sure now they're in the nursery. They're in the spiritual nursery. We need to come alongside and sometimes you've got to change a diaper or two. And you've got to make sure that they're getting fed on a regular basis. And you've got to teach them how to feed themselves. Isn't that what you do with children? Isn't that what you do with babies? You feed them until they are strong enough. And sometimes you've got to change their diapers, and you've got to teach them, and they're learning how to walk, and they're doing all those things. It's the same thing with a new Christian. You've got to get them in a class. And you, if you've led them to the Lord, you were part of that birth process, you need to be there to help them. You can get a crown for that. Then there's the crown of life. We're enduring trials and overcoming temptation. You can see that in James chapter 1 and in Revelations chapter 2. And then there's the crown of righteousness for faithful service while looking for the return of Jesus. I love the Thessalonians because in there, when Paul wrote to them, he said to the Thessalonians, you turned from idols to God to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Serving and waiting. Is that what you're doing? Serving and looking. I love it. You know, you, can't you just see somebody serving? They're doing something, but they're always looking up. They're always looking up. They're always looking up. They're looking for the Savior. Jesus, I can hardly wait till you come back. I want to be found faithful. When you return, I want to be serving. 
I want to be mentoring somebody. I want to be serving in the nursery. I want to be giving. Wouldn't it be great if you were giving and the offering bags come along or however you give here and you're putting that money in Jesus returns? Wow. What an investment. Now, there's also the, um, the crown of righteousness and then there's the crown of glory. And this is for elders who faithfully shepherd God's people. But all the crowns, as I said earlier, all the crowns that you receive, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time. Revelations chapter 4, he says this, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. This represents the church. And they were dressed in white, and they had crowns on their heads. The book of Revelation nowhere specifies or identifies these 24 elders, but it is so obvious that they really are the church. They represent the church because how they're dressed, what they have on. And then we have it later on, it says in that passage, that we cast our crowns before the Savior because isn't he the one who deserves that? Well, you know, um, how long do I have? I'm going to keep going. No one said anything, so you just, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Facing the Giants. It's a Christian movie. It's a great movie. And there's a scene in there where he takes one of the linemen, and, and they're, kinda, they're trying to find themselves as a team. And they do this deal called the death crawl. I don't know if you know what that is, but what the linemen, these big old guys, they'll get down on all fours, and then they'll have a smaller guy on their back, and they go back to back, and they just hold onto the guy's pads. And then the lineman gets up on his hands, and he gets up on his feet, and then he, tries, he starts crawling across the field, and he can't have his knees touch. And so they'll go to the to, to the 10-yard line. They start from the goal line to the 20-yard line. And so during this scene, he said, okay, coach, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to the, do you want me to go to the 30? I can go to the 30. He said, no, I want you to go as far as you can. Well, I'll go to the 50, but if you take the guy off, I can make 50. He said, no, I think you can go farther than that. And then he blindfolds him. He said, I don't want you looking at anybody else. I don't want, to, I don't want you to start to give up when you think you've gone far enough. And he's there, he's encouraging him, he's coaching him, he's saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And before you know it, guess what? He's at the other goal line. He's finished. Are you giving your best effort for Jesus? Or are you looking at everybody else and saying, well, you know what, they do this and, and they do that. We shouldn't be measuring ourselves with other Christians. We should be doing everything that God has called us to do. We should be going with our best effort for Jesus. Whatever it is he's called us to do, we need to be giving our best effort. I thought of the verse that Paul wrote just before he went home. He said, I have fought the good fight. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be a great epitaph on your tombstone? I fought the good fight. I finished the course. kept the faith are you giving your best effort to Jesus and then the second thing is are you walking in the good works that he's designed for you or you're walking in your own two weeks before my wife uh, went home to be with the Lord we had gone to Mount Hermon it was our 32nd year to go there and we always go to the Dallas conference and um, one of the mornings the teaching was on the Bema seat and uh, I happened to go play golf that day, but Betty went to the session. When I get back, um, she had heard that teaching before, but she was just really excited about the, just thinking about the Bema Seat. She was so excited. We talked for about an hour and a half, talked about the Bema Seat, what it meant. Two weeks later, Betty had a stroke. 
and six days later she was with the Lord. And so sometime after that took place, I, I got Betty's Bible, and I was just looking through it. And I found her notes from that session on the Bema seat. And this is what she wrote in the notes. It, after she went home to be with the Lord, I found her notes in the Bible. She had written down 14 things that the speaker had suggested would be works that would be rewarded. After the 14 things, she wrote this. Each day pray, Lord, I'm looking for your works to do, not mine. And then she wrote this. I'm not looking for death. I'm looking for him. Two weeks after she wrote this, Betty saw him face to face. Amazing. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. Let's pray. Father, you have been so good to us. You've given us your son. You've gifted us. You've given us talents and a spiritual gift. You open up doors of ministry for us. You've designed good works. You laid them out before the foundation of the world. Father, would you please help each one of us as we pray and as we seek you? Would you help us? Would you help us that we can walk in those good works? Would you help us, Father, so that we can glorify our Savior? Would you help us so that we can encourage a dear brother or dear sister? Would you help us, Father, that we might reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ to so many people that are hurting? Whether it be young people or children or young adults or people, Father, of all the socioeconomic levels of life. Father, each person needs the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that you might help us to do that. Thank you so much, Father, for your word, for the encouragement. Thank you for the privilege that we have to serve our Savior. And we pray, Father, this morning that you'd help us to pray each day. Father, show thee the good works and how you want to work them out in my life so that I might walk in obedience to you. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.